Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be revisiting the films we've discussed in the last six episodes before, of course, picking the next round of movies we'll be discussing. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Alicia, what have you watched since the last time we recorded? Any movies this time? You'll be happy to know that I watched three movies since the last time we recorded. Um, one of them was In the Heights, um, which I watched with Stephen and uh, our friend Marianne. Um, it was fun. I'm not a huge like musical person, so I I didn't like adore it, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, and then uh, I watched two <laughs> franchise movies, which is another thing that might surprise you guys. Um, I watched The Conjuring. <laughs> And then the most recent Conjuring, which is like, it's called The Conjuring colon something. The like Devil the Made Me Do It or something like the that? The Devil Made Me Do It, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say The Conjuring Dead to Me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, I watched those too. Um, I can get behind a horror franchise. That, that's something I enjoy. And um, those are pretty um pretty good like horror movies i mean they're they're stupid and and like ridiculous but they're they're good for horror you know good horror films mm -hmm. not too cheesy i've heard good things about the conjuring series which i was surprised by because as they were coming out i thought they looked really bad but apparently people like them quite a bit i would say they do they do like they do like um spookiness and eeriness pretty well um and so if you um if you if you don't like jump scares and stuff i would not watch it mm. <laughs> but um but yeah they're they're not they're not as cheesy as like you know freddie and jason or anything like right. that and they seem like they have a sense of humor about themselves maybe i think i hope they do because i was laughing <laughs> <laughs> okay uh laura how about you i saw Fanine. <laughs> um I was also with Steven. Can you Steven. can you translate that yeah. for the audience who may not for the audience that is not so initiated? <laughs> Fast nine. Yeah, and it was ridiculous. It was really, really just out there. Um, I you know what I thought about. I felt like there was some decent writing in some parts where they were trying to be meta about the film and the fact that no one's ever really dead, and um you know, how ridiculous things have gotten. And I felt like they were trying to be self-aware with that, but the editing and the directing and the heavy handedness of, of each of the lines kind of fought against those moments. So to me, it just seemed like a, um, a wrestling of egos. It was really fun to watch it in the theater because as ridiculous it, as it got like from moment to moment, it was still so enjoyable to watch. Um, and just the audience had a great time. You know, we all applauded at the end. And um, the, I, I guess the other thing about it is it's, you know, they've gotten older. And so in a way, to me, it's like, it's kind of a meditation on aging um, unintentionally. But I do think that's kind of a big part of, I think, how this film is going to affect people, whether or not they um, aimed for that. Okay. And Mia. Uh, 
So I've seen a lot of movies in the last few weeks, um, mostly because we finally finished Sex and the City and because Hulu took all their house content is not on Hulu anymore, like House Hunters and Fixer Upper and all that stuff is gone. So I've had more room for movies in my time. Uh, Jeremiah and I watched The Fast and the Furious one uh we're starting my at first the, time yeah jeremiah's first time i saw it in theaters in high school so it was a good little trip down memory lane uh the movie's so ridiculous it was awesome uh yeah can't wait i think we want to watch all of them and like you know just whatever but i kind of want to skip ahead and just go see the new one in theaters so that there's still an audience because i feel like it's one of those ones that'll be so much better with people not just like five people in the theater so anyway, saw that, saw In the Heights, which I really liked. I thought it was just like so fun and such an antidote to quarantine life of the last year. So that was great. And then last night I watched Free Solo, which I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's been out for a couple of years at this point, but it is fucking terrifying. So it's about <laughs> this climber free soloing so like climbing without ropes on El Capitan and Yosemite for the first like first person only person to do this and literally within like three minutes of the movie starting my palms were just like completely drenched <laughs> in sweat it was so anxious watching it even though I knew he like I you know it was happened years ago I knew he was going to be fine but it's just it's so insane that he does this like there's literally no room for error he's like this one hold only half his thumb fits in the hole and then he has one foot on and you're like 3,000 feet up in the air. I mean, it's just nuts. Um, yeah. So I highly recommend it. I told Jeremiah <laughs> if I watched it, I was like, that's the scariest movie I've seen in a long time. Um, so Alicia, maybe yep. it'll be a good compliment to The Conjuring. <laughs> Do you have a fear of heights? Is that why you think it was? Not even really. Like, I mean, I don't love heights, but I'm not someone who considers myself having a fear of them. But it's just so insane and they show him like you know he's like a big rock climber he free solos all over the place and he's young he's like I mean if he's 30 I would be shocked and so also in a way it was a meditation on death because so many people he knows have died and you know he has older climbers that he's training with and stuff who are like Alex is gonna be next and like are we encouraging him by helping him with this here and you know obviously there's a film crew is that affecting things and you see him because when he's practicing for months, years, he's roped in, obviously. Like, he's really not not on ropes until he actually does the, the final climb. And you see him fall all the time. And you're just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, what are you thinking? But he did it. It's incredible. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm yeah. totally afraid of heights. <laughs> I could not. Like, even though I know that he's alive, I just couldn't. I just, it too, the anxiety would be too much. But it sounds good. It's a yeah. good movie. It's very well shot. It's only like an hour and a half long, I think. So it's a pretty quick watch. Um, yeah, we're going to Yosemite this fall. So I told Jeremiah, oh. can start practicing now. And then we can scamper on up that. Um, but yeah, no, I think we're just going <laughs> to Yosemite's supposed box. to be great. Yeah. I'm excited. Shout, shout out to our friend who's getting married. So we have an excuse to go to California. Mm -hmm. so. It's beautiful. Yeah. I've yeah. already been once and I liked it. I'm pretty sure that won the Oscar for best documentary a couple of years ago. Probably. I mean, it's really, really well done. And, you know, he has his girlfriend with him who was just like, I don't understand why he has to do this. And anyways, go watch it. Legally Blonde is also on Netflix now. And I also watch that. <laughs> yeah. So we watched In the Heights twice, actually. Uh, once in theaters 
and then once at home um, hmm. with uh, her sister was in town and hadn't seen it, so we watched it with her and her boyfriend. Um, yeah, then Fast and Furious, first time watching that. Um, sure, I'll keep watching them and see how far I can take this ride. Um, see, but what are your what was your guys' reaction to the heights? Because I'm not really getting that. I I. I mean, she said she said she loved it. I loved it. Perfect. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It really cool. it was just like okay. seeing it in theaters, especially it's like so big. It's so happy. There's so many people dancing together. It just felt like the total antidote to like being alone at home for a year. Not alone, but, you know, mostly <laughs> alone. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> and it just it really just made me miss New York and mm -hmm. want to come back and visit everybody and be in New York in the summer. Yeah. You do not want to be. In yeah, I know. Maybe not in the summer, but mentally, I want to be in New York in the summer. Maybe autumn in New York. Right. Autumn in New York. Just like <laughs> today was a hot day, but I accidentally I wasn't even thinking about it. But when I went out, I, I ended up running into the Pride Parade. Oh, and it was really really nice. It was great to be there. Yeah, I love the Pride Parade. One other movie that we watched was Plan B, which is on Hulu. It's uh. It's about, it's kind of like a, it's getting compared to like super bad or, or book smart or that type of movie. I think that, I think it has a lot in common with those. It's obviously of a genre with those, but I think it does some different things uh, that, that I think set it apart. Um, I'm not saying it's better than those. It's just a little different, um, but it's about this girl in South Dakota who has sex for the first time is afraid she might get pregnant. So it's trying to find the, the plan B pill and can't because people won't sell it to her or the Planned Parenthood is closed. Um, and it's like this road trip, like uh, adventure movie, basically her and her best friend trying to solve this problem. And, you know, it's like, it's got lots of funny moments, but also has a message to it without, I think, beating it over the head a little too much. It, it was a good movie. And it's on, like I said, it's on Hulu, so it's really easy to watch. And if you don't like it, you can just turn it off. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Steven, how about you? Um, before I get started, I want to say, like, if your level of ridiculousness for Fast and the Furious 1 is already your ridiculous, yeah. I'm a little worried about that. Yeah, <laughs> Because they on. just increasingly get insane. So, you know, <laughs> that's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but I did see In the Heights as well. So um, I, re I really loved it. Although towards the end, it was like sensory overload almost. So I kind of needed, I felt like I needed a break. Mm -hmm. um, and I also rewatched Brokeback Mountain because it was on cable when I was assembling some furniture. So I thought I'd just watch it. And I did like it more this time around, Setting although I didn't really buy the love story again, but the acting was just pretty incredible. So it saved it. And I also saw the Fast and the Furious 9 in the theater. So that was incredibly enjoyable i laughed the entire time it was just it was just great and i also saw robin hood the 2017 version with taron edgerton and jamie fox and bono's daughter Oy. and it was it was a trip um <laughs> i don't think i would recommend it but it was it was watchable but it was just very very action like packed it was like too action packed right so anyway jamie yeah. fox is still really likable in the film like that's yeah, he's, he's a little John. Yeah, or John. So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made. It comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022. So we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. And this week is what we're sort of calling an in-between episode. 
where we're taking some time to look back at the six movies we watched for round two of our viewing schedule. It's an opportunity for us to bring up some things about them that we've been thinking about since we recorded or respond to what we've heard from the audience about the films. It's also a chance for us to check in on some of our more overarching questions about the sight and sound poll or classic movies more generally. And of course, we'll also be picking the next round of movies that we'll be watching for Stereoactive Movie Club round three. So for round two, we watched and discussed The Searchers, The General, Bicycle Thieves, La Ventura, Mirror, and The Godfather. Um, so how about we go around and everybody kind of shares any thoughts they've had on some movies uh, since we watched them. And uh, Mia, do you want to start us off? Sure. So um, I'm going to talk about The Searchers. And I, after we watched the movie, I've always been really into this time period of American life. Like I was really into the Little House on the Prairie books and that whole era. And uh, so Jeremiah and I went on vacation in West Texas and I got this book called Empire of the Summer Moon uh, right before we headed off into the wilderness, which was about basically the true story of what happens in the searchers. Um, that's like the kernel of it. But then it expands out to this larger like geopolitical uh, worldview of America and Texas at that time. And it's really good. I highly, highly recommend it. It was like a pretty quick read despite being, you know, really dense and lots of history. Um, and it was just really interesting to learn more about the true story, both about like the actual kidnapping and what happened and the, her uncle's search for her. Um, so I'm just basically going to like share a couple things from that real quick. Uh, I don't really have a question or anything. Um, but basically, first of all, it was kind of her uncle's fault that they all got kidnapped in the first place. So that maybe was why he was so guilt stricken and searching for her. And his daughter was also kidnapped too, and a couple other kids. Um, so he was one of the original, his name is James Parker. He was one of the original Texas Rangers. And then right before the kidnapping happened, he basically disbanded their local Rangers because there wasn't any money to pay them anymore. And right before this too, like all these federal troops had pulled out. So basically you have these families living like out in the middle of nowhere in Texas. I shouldn't even say in the middle of nowhere. They're like living in Comanche territory in Texas. All the men go out to the fields for the day and are working they leave the women and some old men and the children in the fort. They don't actually close the fort up. And then this band of Comanches shows up and basically kidnaps several of the children and young women, kills a bunch of other people. Uh, and then that becomes like the true story of what The Searchers was based on. Um, Cynthia Ann Parker is the one who Natalie Wood's character is based on. I don't remember her name from the movie so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um so she her story is the one that she's based on but she actually ended up living with the comanches for like 25 years i think it's debbie debbie right little debbie yes <laughs> she lives with the comanches for 25 years she marries she has children she's like completely integrated into their life eventually when she's you know probably in her 30s she's kidnapped and taken back to her family and is just treated so horribly um she is very much made to be this object of like spectacle and is like literally put on display like a 
circus freak or something like that for people to just come and look at. She doesn't speak English. She like very strongly and repeatedly wants to go back to live with her family. Um, she doesn't know what happens to her two sons. Her husband was killed in the same raid that she was kidnapped in. And it's like, you know, this poor woman for the second time in her life, she's been like snatched away from the, at that point, the only family she knows. And yeah, it actually, re- I was just rereading some parts of it before we got on. It really reminded me of all the stuff that's come out in the last week about Britney Spears since she made her statement. Like, she's this grown adult woman. She's being held against her will by her family. She's very clear. I don't want to be with these people. I don't know them. I was kidnapped when I was like seven. Like, get me out of here. I want to be with my family. I want to pursue my own life. So, and then her baby daughter who was taken with her in the raid when she was kidnapped the second time dies and that just really breaks her spirit and she dies a few years later and it's just like really devastating and meanwhile also her fast forward to when she was kidnapped the first time her aunt was kidnapped with her and was like a 17 year old I actually want to see a movie about her life because she had a whole other crazy experience they were separated really early on and Cynthia Ann was young enough where she was like integrated into society. She basically became like a full Comanche and was treated very well. But her aunt was a slave, was treated really horribly, like brutally raped, brutally tortured, finally manages after being in captivity for like two years or something to convince some folks to buy her ends up in Santa Fe and she's like, okay, these people are going to get me back to my family. Everything is going to be okay. And then this huge like war breaks out in Santa Fe from the native Pueblo people there attacking the city. She goes on this like thousand mile journey to Missouri, finds someone from her family there because that's like her uncle's looking for her and stuff or her that's her dad. Sorry, her dad's looking for her, finds her family there, is forced on another thousand mile journey to get back down to Texas where her family is, is reunited, is actually like accepted with her back with her husband, which was crazy at the time because most of these women were raped and treated so horribly that if they were reunited with their white families, they were like basically outcasts, gets pregnant. So now she's like 19, I think, pregnant, has been through like years of torture and abuse. And then her dad, the freaking uncle, <laughs> like kills someone. And so now these people are coming after their family. And she's forced to go on this like 80 mile march through the woods of Texas to get to Houston. She's nine freaking months pregnant. And that's basically what ends up killing her after going through like all of this like insanity for these last few years. And we know so much about she wrote it all down, like kept this like really extensive diary of what she went through and everything. And yeah, it was just like, oh, my God, girl, like I can't imagine like dying at like 20, basically. And having been through this like she saw parts of the country where she was like the first white person to go through and see all of that so anyways there's just like this whole other story behind the uncle his search for Cynthia Ann the other kids search I'm wrapping up anyways and then just the larger like geopolitical whole relations between like the Comanches the Americans the Texans, the Mexicans, it's all really wild and like really fascinating history. So 
yeah, the searchers barely scratches the surface and obviously gets like a ton of stuff wrong too. But sure. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't think the searchers is trying to actually tell, sure. tell no, that I know. story. I know. But I mean, I, I'm just curious, is there anything that the book, knowing that it's like not really even an adaptation of that story so much is just loosely, loosely inspired by it. Is there any way that reading this book and learning about all this stuff um, sort of complicated or enhanced or anything your view of the searchers? Since I think we all pretty much ended up coming down on more or less a positive side on that film when we talked about it. Well, one thing that I thought was really interesting is I remember we talked about at the end of the searchers, like he doesn't come. Well, one, he doesn't come back in the house at the very end, but also he almost doesn't want his niece anymore because he sees her as like part of this Comanche tribe. And that was basically what happened in real life, too. I mean, maybe not like as dramatically and obviously we're at dramatically as what was in the movie. And obviously all we have to go on is like letters and written accounts and a lot of the stuff that was in newspapers about the family was like super fanciful and exaggerated and romanticized and all this stuff but basically like he treated his daughter really horribly towards the end of her life like he was kind of like oh yeah she got sick and died and it's like no she got sick and died because you killed someone and he had this whole his whole life was very like scally wag like always like nefarious things going on but he was also like a, an elected person in texas and one of the founders of the texas rangers so like all of these contrasts here um and then with uh cynthia ann the niece who he searched for for all these years kind of the same thing like once he knew oh she doesn't really want to come to back to white people like he never really appears in her story ever again. So I just thought that was one thing that they did get right in this way of just like his disgust mm. and not really like, why is he really searching for them? You know, I wondered in real life it was if it was because of his guilt, because he thought there was going to be some financial reward at the end because they did end up, end up getting these like pensions from the state of Texas for their hardships and stuff or fame. I don't know. It was a lot going on. Uh, Alicia. Just um, talking about the searchers, I kind of, I wondered if you saw the um, the stories that came out in the last few weeks about the schools in Canada where there had been like a, a large, like, I, I don't know if it's mass graves, but like a large number of children had died and been buried at, at these like schools. Yeah. And um, yeah. that kind of just like the conversation, the, the what you were talking about just like kind of made me think of that and just like how um how like badly we just treated Native American I mean we basically just like decimated their culture and and then would the we took their kids and tried to like indoctrinate them in white culture and the ones that I'm I guess didn't uh want to go along with that suffered horribly and yeah, the, the, I just feel really sad that just thinking about that movie just makes me really sad. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, and obviously, like the story behind it is even like more devastating. That's crazy. Yeah, but I do think it's still important to like. I think it's still. I think like that just drives home to me the the conclusion that we kind of came to in that episode about how it is important to like still watch this and talk about the talk about these things. Yeah, I think there's obviously a very complex history that white people in America have with 
Native Americans. Like we absolutely decimated their culture. And reading, you know, reading this book, like obviously white people are moving in, they're taking their buffalo lands. And, you know, so of course, what are you going to do? You're going to go on the attack. It was very interesting, the contrast between how some people were treated, like horribly murdered, horribly raped, like torture, like just I can't imagine. And then, but then there were a lot of children actually who were kidnapped, who wanted to go back or, you know, kidnapped by Comanches or another tribe who, you know, even after just a year or two were like, no, I don't, I don't want to go back to living with white people. This is my, my family. I've been treated very well. And, you know, some ran away, officially got adopted, like once they were 18 or whatever and could make their own decisions. So, you know, just on this like micro level, there is a lot of this very complicated interpersonal relationships. Yeah. That movie uh, just, I feel like, scratches the surface, but it did about as much as you could in a John Ford, John Wayne movie in 1950-whatever-it-was, 56. Um, well, should we move ahead to uh, La Ventura? Laura, I think you wanted to talk about that. That movie stuck with me more than all the other ones we watched, and I think it was because of the visual aspect and the cinematography and how each image is its own, like, has, it was sort of haunting and hauntingly beautiful with all the negative space. And I think to me that was even more important than the subject matter of the film. And I just started thinking about style versus substance mm -hmm. in, in films. And I was just wondering if style is as important to everyone or do we think that um, it should come in second in terms of the ranking of, of, of how we approach um, critiquing these films um, because I have to say that it wins for me in this one and it succeeds. It's just a triumph of style. I would personally say that uh, to me, it just depends on the movie. I think that there are so many movies where the style tries to, to be the main focus and it fails. And then sometimes mm -hmm. it, it can be style as substance instead of style over substance. And right. yeah, I think that this is a good example of that, where the style is sort of the point. I think the style is getting at something beyond just an aesthetic. I think there's something more to it than just the look and the feel of it. Um, but then I think it can just go in an entertainment way. We've we've kind of joked or not even joked, really, like you guys really enjoy the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> uh, we, I've talked about it, liking the. Mission Impossible movies, and in a way, I think you could say those are all style and very little substance, and they're very successful in a completely different way than something like La Ventura is, where it's creating this style and fashion almost that... Um, Not to know. disagree, but I, I mean, I think the first... <laughs> I loved those early films because I, had, I think they had such... The, maybe the themes were so important about family and loyalty. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was, I think, just as... In, in in lieu of of good plot <laughs> it's sort of what drove the films um but this stuff now it's just what it's just spun out into these ridiculous um it's something completely different well yeah i mean i'm not saying that those don't have anything to them i think yeah, the, the yeah. same way that you were one of you was saying earlier that this newest one fast nine is a meditation on aging i think the same thing is there 
in the Mission Impossible movies, where it's about watching this increasingly older man do crazy <laughs> shit and somehow live to tell the tale. And, and but but there's like there's a subtext to it that is interesting and infuses it with with more than is actually in the words of the script or anything. And I do think that that some of that stuff comes through in the style of the filmmaking rather than than the text of it. Um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I, I would just go back to saying that I think it just really matters to or, or it just really depends on the movie. I, I wouldn't say that for me, I could ever say that style is going to rank in some position behind other things, other elements of a film. It's just mm -hmm. what is the overall balance of everything? Is it elevating it to something um, that is feels important, even if it's not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the style of that movie did make me enjoy it more because as you all know, I'm more of the person that needs to know what the driving plot is of it. Wait, Steven, are you talking I... about La Ventura or, or Fast and the Furious? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could go for both. You decide. Oh no, I was talking about La Ventura in that um, I just felt like the, the style of the movie was almost like a character in and of itself. And it, and it did, it did make me just pay attention to things more about the aesthetics. Mm -hmm. um, and it did make me think about it a lot more than I would have maybe necessarily if the movie was more plot driven or more like dialogue heavy, or, you know, you had to pay attention more to the story. So I just felt like I did, I did think about it a lot more just in terms of like everything instead of just the story. So for me, that, that did work. Um, for, oh, I'll, I'll just say, um, like, I, I think when it's done well, unless it's something that's really like innovative and like crazy and I don't even notice it when it's done well. And I think that it just played for me, it just kind of plays into, I mean, it just plays into how good the movie already is. Like if I don't think too much about the style, then it's probably like going well <laughs> and I'm probably picking up some cues from it subconsciously. Mm -hmm. If it's done poorly, obviously like that's really obvious and it can like make or break a movie but um so in relation to, to La Ventura where would you net out oh I thought it was great like and I didn't think about it at all while I was watching the movie but when I think back and like picture you know picture it picture the movie scenes from the movie in my head it's you know it's like be it's beautiful I just thought it was beautiful while I was watching it and and um but I wasn't like thinking about that at all. But I think that like, if it, if you don't, if you're not thinking for me anyway, if I'm not thinking about it, that means it's, they're doing something, right? <laughs> um, unless they're doing something really like bold, like during when we were watching Passion of Joan of Arc, like this, the style and that was very, very noticeable just because it was like, it, it looked so different from all the other movies that were its contemporaries. But um, yeah, I don't know. I am a way more substance over style person, but I enjoyed the style of La Ventura a lot. And I think once I stopped focusing on like what is the actual plot here and just kind of went with it, then I appreciated it more. But I think I have to get to that point first and I can't always like in mirror, I totally couldn't get there. And I was just like, oh, my God, the plot. What is the plot of this movie? This is driving me crazy. I couldn't just like sit back and let it kind of wash over me. Um, I mean, I certainly appreciate good style in movies. I think it's important. I think I can intellectually appreciate a movie for that, but I'm always pretty much going to go with the story and the substance of it before the style. Yeah. Um, 
uh, on the uh, sticking with Love and Torah for a minute because I know Stephen has some things about Mirror he wants to bring up. But um, when when I was editing the Love and Torah episode, Laura said something which I don't remember what it was now, but it was something that, that it was made, really really smart. Yes, it was very smart. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me start to think about Anna from the movie as uh, Schrodinger's cat, that, which is a thing I've never totally understood. To be fair. Uh, to be quite honest. And uh, the, so the question of the movie, at least for some time, is, is she alive or is she dead? Uh, but to extend the Schrodinger's cat metaphor, or does she metaphysically exist in both states since we never find out? Like, we never know if she's alive or dead, therefore she's both. Um, and I don't know if that has any bearing at all on the movie or anything. It was just like something that came to mind while I was listening back to the conversation while editing that I found interesting. So I'm putting that out there. I remember, um, I, what, what I basically for me, both, both exist her, she is both alive and dead. And, um, so yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe it's that there's a tension there that, yeah. I mean, even beyond the state of it being a mystery i mean because obviously when there's mystery there's some tension but the the mystery here goes away at some point because they stop seeming to care whether she Mm -hmm. is alive or dead but i think we're still left to just sort of continuously be like well she could be either she could be both we don't know could we maybe sum up the concept of shortener's cat really quickly i mean i'm not i i i pretty much just did as best i could Okay. <laughs> well, let me let me try to sum it up real quick, if I can. I, and this might be totally off base, but um, my understanding of it is that if there's a cat in a box, and you're told that it, it could be alive or dead, you you don't really know which it is until you open it. Therefore, it's it's both, and the act of opening it then decides whether it is. So you might be killing the cat by opening it and finding it dead, I, or something like that. I'm not sure if I'm getting that right at all. It's been one of those things that I've never fully understood, but have found interesting. And Stephen, you had something? Oh, just like it, it's it's that your awareness of the object gives it its its permanence or something yeah. like that. It, it's just like your the the act of you actually looking at it or or finding out about it is what gives it its qualities, really. So like right. it could not exist at all until you look at it. Right. And it's the same thing with everything else, unless you're actually like having the awareness of something does it exist at all right but I, i'm pretty sure this isn't like a philosophical uh scenario it was it was oh it's not i'm it's from a scientist i believe right mm-hmm. and it is. so it, but it is a scientific concept really yeah. when you think about it and and so but but the idea is that both states exist until you make the decision to check exactly. it out and see which it is exactly right is this sort of like the tree in the woods or something yeah i guess so in a way yeah <laughs> That that tree. Yeah, I mean, it's, no. yeah. I guess it's about like perception. <laughs> tree. Yeah, I don't hear it. Yeah. Well, interesting. Now, now I want to go down some deep dive on that because now it's like, what is alive and what is dead, right? You know. Yeah, so... I'm definitely at something. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna Google it. Yeah. Is the cat brain dead, or does it just appear dead? Or well, I mean, I think in terms of Anna, that's a really interesting conversation to to bring up in regards to it. But for me, the answer is they both exist equally with the same weight. I'm not sure how yeah. everyone else rolls around in that. I'd be curious to know. I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I think what I was trying to say before, not very well, is that I, I think that that's what keeps the tension going once 
you know you're not going to really ever find out probably there it's it's the fact that she could be alive or dead becomes the continuation of that false plot um after it sort of played out and they moved on to other things but but knowing it's there in the background is a possibility somehow like sustains some sort of tension i think i agree does anyone did anyone just think she's dead and go with that in mind I don't, yeah, you know, I never really, I mean, I, it bothered me for most of the movie because I just thought she was missing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think I ever thought that she was dead because they never found a body. So I just still think she's out there, like personally. <laughs> so I made a decision for myself to say like, she's probably alive somewhere. I, I felt kind of like, I think she's probably dead, but also, I sort of had the opposite of Stephen, where I was, or, well, I guess the, the same, but different, where I was like, I think she's probably dead, but I hope she's out there alive somewhere. I like, you know, if the movie ended with a shot of like far away, her on some beach with a big hat and sunglasses on, you're like, is that her? What? <laughs> so I guess I, I wanted to open the box a little bit just to see. <laughs> yeah, that follows. That's, that's... <laughs> I, I just kind of, uh, to be honest, I didn't really think of her. It, I kind of let, I kind of liked the thought of that it could be either. I didn't kind of try to resolve it for myself either way. I just kind of figured there's so many cases in real life where people go, <laughs> people just disappear and you never mm-hmm. find out. And I think uh, I thought that that was kind of realistic in this movie just to see just like you're just not going to get an answer to this Mm -hmm. and how do you deal with that like never having the answer yeah i'm with you um how about we move on to mirror steven you had a couple of questions or points to bring up um yeah um typically when we we look at or when we watch these movies i always look at the title and i wonder how it relates to the rest of the movie mm-hmm. um so when we got to mirror of course you know i was trying to figure out what that really meant to me um as i was watching it and at first i was thinking more of it like it's a it's kind of a mirror that was held up to the character so he could look at what his life was like but then i was thinking as i noticed that some of the characters were played by the same actors like you know, the mother and the wife, and then the son played the main character again at other points of the movie. Um, what did mirror really mean? Was it a mirror for the character to look at his life or was it just a mirror into behavior, like you're mirroring somebody's behavior? And so the the mirror exactly was like, it was just gonna continue happening through the generations, the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, everything kind of tied into that with the war and you know how he was raised. And then, so you got different points of his life. So I was just curious if anybody had any kind of opinion on that, like what the, they thought Mirror really meant to to the audience or to the people that were watching or to you guys? For me, like when I think of Mirror, I think we see sort of a backward version of the way things are. And I think the way, I even to an offline conversation we were having, Stephen, how you're talking about the film is how memory isn't linear and we each have snapshots of things and mm-hmm. And they're interpreted in different ways, which why it, it sort of adds that the mom is played by the same woman who's played by the wife, and how it all sort of comes together in such a in such a way. It's it's not necessarily backward, but a warped version of an our version of of things as opposed to reality. 
Yeah, I guess I hadn't really considered the title that much. Um, so I'm finding this interesting. I, I Something you said, Stephen, uh, kind of makes the film, uh, it, it, it adds another depth to me because I hadn't really thought about the the title in relation to the the double casting of several of the roles. And I, I think that that's an interesting idea uh, about one part of this guy's life reflecting the other part, at least in his mind. And that's why he's, you know, seeing these people with the same faces. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of wish I thought of it sooner than this. Um, but, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> well, a really interesting way to look at the film. Yeah. That was the that was the question that I had that week that I forgot to mention. <laughs> 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 but I was like, let me write this down. So well, thank, thank you for being diplomatic. I forgot to ask you to, I forgot to prompt you to ask the questions. So that one was on me. So I was glad <laughs> we could come back to it this time. Um, but did anybody else have anything else to say on the title? I, I thought that it was like the family thing was how I interpreted it. Like, you know, everyone has that fear of turning into their parents or there's moments when you hear your mom or dad's voice coming out of your mouth or in your actions or something. And, you know, I, people, they say, oh, you, you marry your mom or do you marry the complete opposite of your mom, which either way you could look at it as like a mirror. So I assumed it was like that, just kind of this generational thing that in his fractured non-linear memories it was like sort of that thread of generationalness but then also just getting all mixed up in your head because memories don't just happen linear linearly <laughs> um, i guess i can answer that by also just sort of bringing in the the subject that i was going to bring up um because well i will say when i first watched the movie and thought about the title i just thought it was like him re looking at looking back into his own life and like mm -hmm. reflecting on himself. But then um, when we were, when we posted the episode in the Facebook group, um, Charlie, uh, one of our like frequent, probably our most frequent comments. Thanks Charlie. Yes, thank you hey, Charlie. Charlie. Um, he posted, um, you know, that I'll, I'll just read what he said. Cause I was gonna, I was gonna bring it up anyway. That was gonna be like what I was gonna talk about. So I'll just go straight into it, which is, um, he said, I think Mia had the best comment of the episode when she mentioned time and trauma. Mirror is not just about the persistence of memory. It's also about the generational persistence of trauma. Russia was continually traumatized for 50 years, starting before the revolution through the after effects of Stalin. Uh, rather than relate trauma as a trigger for an explosion or a slowly boiling pot, which eventually boils over, Tarkovsky sees trauma as an obstacle preventing love, connection, compassion, and those things that might bring about healing from trauma. It's the stuttering, it's the loss of a place of fond memories, it's the vanishing of people. And um, that really resonated for me. I thought that really rang true. And in regards specifically to like your question, Stephen, I guess besides him holding up a mirror the, 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 the mirror title could work in so many ways. Like it could also be that he's holding up a mirror to like the Russian psyche and like the traumatic effects that they've all, you know, mm. that they're all experiencing when this, you know, at the time of, that this movie came out. Um, yeah. I'd like to watch Charlie's movie that he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. I mean, I don't know. Like I liked that comment a lot and I, I actually, uh, I don't know, it rang true for me. 
Mm-hmm. I think that I, what I do want to say about that particular episode is I really enjoyed how this group talked about that film. For all that I came from a completely different angle, I was really impressed with everyone's kind of um, patience with it, whereas um, I just didn't have it. So, yeah, that was a movie that I had to come around to actually, and I was I was kind of dreading it as I was watching it, but it, it was like the second watch actually helped personally, um, just because I, I kind of appreciated it more for what I saw rather than what I thought it should be. So I think that that helped. Mm-hmm. I think that was, this has been the hardest movie for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, I was just like, I don't want to talk about this movie. I don't know <laughs> what I'm gonna say. Like, it's gonna be stupid. Like, I don't, I was just like, I missed the mark on this completely. Um, so yeah, I was like also really dreading talking about it. Um, but I think we did a good job. So. I think you did, I think you guys did. I was proud of you. Well, you were you part of it too. Laura, yeah. So. Well, I know, but I was also like, fuck this movie. Yeah. No, but I think like, <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That take. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to like every movie. And I think yeah. that's a perfectly reasonable reaction to this movie. Like, <laughs> it's not, it, I mean, it, we'll get to the rankings in a few, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steven, did you want to ask your other question? Um, yeah, um, and it's also kind of in regards to Mirror, but it's sort of like an overarching arching question. Um, just because when I did see Mirror, I also saw that movie Tenet, which I also had the same problem with. It's just like it wasn't a linear story, and a lot of it was very confusing to me. Um, but that movie kind of gave me a headache. Uh, Mirror didn't just because it was it was just very interesting, and I didn't know what to expect out of it. Um, but it kind of made me think of how I approach movies in general. And with Mirror, it kind of helped in that like I don't necessarily have to know what a movie is about in order for me to like it. So my question was to everybody was, is it enough to feel a movie or does it have to make sense for you in order for you to enjoy it? Or at least have some sort of internal logic? I think for me, this is this is kind of like the style or substance question. Very similar, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I I mean, I think for me, at least personally, it's it's definitely sort of on a spectrum. Like, I don't need to understand everything about a movie. Like, I like when there's open-ended things or different interpretations. But I think I probably fall more on the spectrum of it making sense. <laughs> um, just the abs- like surreal absurdity of Mirror just did not jive with how I am. Um, but that said, you know, yeah, not everything has to be like wrapped up in a bow and perfectly resolved for me to enjoy mm-hmm. a movie. Yeah, I guess I was talking about it in terms of this movie specifically, because I'm OK with certain things being op- resolved. But this movie from the get, I just wasn't. I just wasn't on board with it and it was mm-hmm. it was very confusing to me and with la ventura it was sort of it wasn't as confusing because there was definitely like forward motion but it was um it wasn't really spelled out and the mystery wasn't really a mystery when you got down to the end of the movie so that's why i also brought that up because that was one of the other movies that we saw that wasn't really wrapped up either i i also think that it's like the style question and that it just kind of matter matters which movie you're talking about and yeah so for mere um, I thought it worked for me for La Ventura. It worked for me ultimately. Both of those movies were difficult to watch on a first viewing, I thought, for, for me personally. Uh, but that's kind of why I like watching movies sometimes is that I want to be challenged and want to be left asking questions about the movie or what it's trying to get at. Even if the questions sometimes are just like, what the fuck was that? Because um, <laughs> sometimes that's like the best first step towards discovering some new way of thinking about 
either the movie or some bigger question in the world or something. And I've, I, I think I brought it up in that episode. My favorite movie of all time is 2001 A Space Odyssey. The first time I watched it, I was like, I enjoyed this, but I have no idea what the fuck is happening a lot of the time. And that just made me want to watch it over and over again and, and try to understand it. And that's kind of what got me into movies to the degree I am now. And so I'm always appreciative when a movie seems like it's going for that sort of a thing of like trying to stir something, even if it's not going to answer those questions for you. Um, and I, I guess to me, then it becomes a little bit maybe about intent, which is always kind of hard to define or hard to suss out. So is the, is the intention of the filmmaker to ask a question and then perhaps not fully answer it so you can come to your own conclusion? Or is it just an impenetrable mess of a movie? You know, like, because there's those exist too, and it's okay to not like one, and one person can think one's impenetrable, and the next person could think it's a masterpiece, you know? So I think it depends not only just on the movie, but the person, obviously. Um, but yeah, I've seen plenty of movies where I'm like, no, fuck this. This is, this is not working for me at all, and I have no patience for it, and I think it's a piece of shit. I've definitely had those feelings about movies that other people have thought that about or other people have thought were great. So, um, and probably all of us have had that. So not Mia. Ever. I like all movies. <laughs> That's not well, true. I have a, I have a trick. I have a trick. <laughs> so for most of the movies for this podcast, I found that if I watch them on like Saturday morning or like early afternoon I can watch just about anything at that time of day yeah. <laughs> and get through it and like process it and and I don't know not necessarily enjoy it but I can like I have time to like put some breathing room and some thinking room on it you can engage if with I try it. what you can engage with it yeah, I guess that's that would be the that would be the more intelligent way of saying what I was trying to say. But if I were to sit down and try to watch Mirror or La Ventura on like a Friday night, or probably like any weeknight, <laughs> I probably would not have the patience for it. And I totally get that. And I think it like I think that um, yeah, I mean it's just it's gonna come down to beyond that it's just going to come down to like the individual movie like yeah some movies are going to resonate even if they are impenetrable to other people and some movies are going to just fall flat for me because we all have our own like context that we're putting on it uh, so yeah I don't know I, I don't know if it's sometimes it's enough to feel a movie <laughs> but I think there has to be some plot like even mirror there's not like a plot plot but there's you know, you're kind of like dealing with one person's life and you're just looking at it at different points in time and different things. Like mm -hmm. there's at least a framework there when there's a movie with no framework or anything that's kind of just about like, I think some like Andy Warhol movies are just like, watch this person take a shower or something. And it's like that, I, I don't really have any patience for that. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I guess what's interesting, this question is I didn't feel mirror either. I didn't, it didn't get, I didn't understand it on a lot of different levels, but I, I would probably say that I need in a way to feel it. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense, but um, that's sort of what I seek out in a film as, a, as opposed to um, the plot or the, the, the context, the historical 
you know, issue, like things like that. I'm, I'm definitely more of the emotional me. What? <laughs> this is shocking, isn't it? <laughs> so shocking. anyway, it's a good question. I'm, I'm glad we watched La Ventura and then Mir because I feel like La Ventura sort of opened up part of my brain to like, okay. <laughs> me too. Just, I agree with that. You don't have to focus so much on the plot. Just kind of go with it. Even though like Mir was like way, I feel like if La Ventura is like fifth grade doing that or something, like Mir is like get a postdoc or something. Um, but I think it kind of helped just be like, okay, just relax. It's okay. <laughs> like, is Mir the film you this. compared to a salad? Did, is it? I definitely compared Maybe. one movie to a I salad. I think it was. <laughs> I think, I think it, it was, was Mir. Yeah. <laughs> rich thing <laughs> haven't had a salad sense <laughs> i forgot about that um i should compare it maybe more to like asparagus which i despise <laughs> but understand that they are full of vitamins and like probably a... and it makes your pee smell different oh god they're so bad that's what mira does for sure yeah <laughs> yeah so I had one last thing I wanted to bring up before we got to our next part. Um, so I enjoyed the somewhat accidental progression we followed from Bicycle Thieves to La Ventura to The Godfather with Mir in the in between, but it wasn't, to me, part of this progression. I think if you had to pick three movies to really illustrate post-war cinema, these three hit that mark really well. Um, Bicycle Thieves shows people grasping for social awareness and realism. Uh, that filmmakers were looking for right after the war and La Ventura kind of shows a reaction to that within the same industry, same country uh, as people wanted to move on and explore more existential themes and get away from the purely literal. And then the Godfather uh, in its way is sort of a continuation or reaction to that. It's part of the new Hollywood movement of those young filmmakers in the seventies that was heavily influenced by movies like La Ventura and other post-war European cinema, especially. And even though Bicycle Thieves and The Godfather are definitely far apart in terms of scale and perhaps even style, they're both largely about making the audience sympathetic to someone who feels like they were forced by the weight of society to break the law in order to survive. And one's an epic and one's just like the small movie. And I, I found that interesting that those were the bookends to that little progression really interesting when you put it that way why thank you <laughs> it's like um bicycle thieves is like nirvana and grunge and <laughs> la ventura is like backstreet boys and Britney Spears. <laughs> don't pay attention to the plot <laughs> don't worry about the plot just, just go, go with, with the, it just go with how it makes you feel look how pretty wait, it is wait 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 I'm, I'm really curious to hear what the godfather is in this scenario oh shoot um the godfather Beyonce. is like uh Beyonce. the libertines or something i don't know I just, get, I just, no, I, that was the only you thing you lost me. You lost me. <laughs> no, no, trust mm -hmm. me, I lost myself. Okay. <laughs> um, so, besides what we've just talked about, is there any one of these last six movies that you've thought about more than the other since we watched it, or has your opinion changed on anything? Laura, do you want to start us off? Um, I thought a lot about Love and like I had said, um, just in terms of the visual aspects and and how the style just went out for me. I, none of my opinions have changed, um, but I, what I have is appreciated 
um, listening to our episodes and getting like learning more about the historical context of each film, um, trying to have dif the different views. Of, I, I've, I've definitely appreciated listening to everyone's opinion this round, especially when they disagree with mine. And Stephen. Um, it, you know, I talked about this before since I brought up two questions from it, but Mirror, um, because that was the one I was least looking forward to watching. And when I was watching it, I also wasn't enjoying it. Um, but I, I did actually get a lot out of that movie and I thought about it a lot more than all the other movies, um, just because it was so confounding to me and I felt like I needed to crack it. And I never really did, but I did come to terms with how I actually approach movies. Um, so I, you know, for that, it just kind of taught me a lesson about myself. So. I felt like that was that was definitely one that mm -hmm. I, I guess I changed my mind on it, but I didn't have an opinion about it before. Um, but I did I did think about that one a lot more. Okay, and Alicia, um, this is a hard question for me because we had like such a good, in my opinion, like group of movies that were all really like heavy and meaningful this time around, except for maybe the general. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching it and talking about it, but it, it didn't like stick with me. Um, but I, I, I think I thought about the searchers more because probably the same thing that happened with Steven is that that was a movie that I, I was familiar with that I'd already seen it, but like, I, I didn't like it at all the first time I saw it. And then after watching it the second time and like having the conversation that we had about it, which I thought was a really great conversation. Um, yeah, I just thought about it a lot more and, and sort of also like what we already talked about a little bit at the beginning of the episode um, with Native Americans and that kind of being in the news right now. And um, I thought about all of them. Like I really, they're all like still with me, like Bicycle Thieves still like with me <laughs> and like mirrors still like popping into my brain and like all of that. I just thought this was a really, really good, um, a really good group this time. Hard for me to pick one. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would have to say mirror. I kind of agree with you, Alicia, like all of them I've thought about definitely, but mirror for all the stuff I said about it before, basically, those are the reasons that, that it stuck with me. Um, I, th I think it's a, it's a movie that's asking you to think about it. And I fell for that trick. <laughs> um, um yeah it's 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 kind of a haunting movie and it's uh just i'll i'll just find myself randomly thinking about it sometimes and, and be like get out of my head what are you doing <laughs> uh mia i have to say i haven't thought about mia at all so hi <laughs> fi mia yeah <laughs> no no real estate taken up there um i mean i would say i thought about the searchers the most mainly because i read a you know 400 some odd page book that was essentially about it so i went deep on that um i also thought about la ventura a lot that one got under my skin did your opinion change on it no no opinion changes just more admiration for the eyeliner and hair and That's style great. Yeah. <laughs> queen go on uh so let's go around and get everyone's ranking of these six movies steven can you start us off um sure and i'm gonna do my rank it in terms of like enjoyability of the movie and like just has as it was well-rounded for me um so i'll my first movie will be The Godfather, which didn't change um, because I had seen that before. Second was Bicycle Thieves. 
Uh, third was The Searchers. Fourth was The General. Fifth was La Ventura. And sixth was Mirror. Even though it did challenge me, I still, like, in terms of enjoyment, it wasn't that enjoyable. <laughs> so. Alicia. Okay, so... I put in Bicycle Thieves in first place for me from this round. Um, just I just thought it it covered the most ground in terms of like social meaning and and emotional meaning. Um, and then after that, I have The Godfather, and then La Ventura, Mirror, The Searchers, and then The General. Okay. I'm going to go from the bottom up at the bottom, even though I've enjoyed talking about them and I did like them. i liked all the movies this round. So none of these are yeah. bad, but uh, tied for fifth or sixth or whatever are Laventura and mirror. Um, then in fourth is the general third is the searchers. Second is bicycle thieves. And first is the Godfather. And this is more or less like which do I think is like the greatest movie by by my current thinking about them, you know? So, um, Mia, how about you? Okay, so I had from top to bottom The Godfather, Bicycle Thieves, The General, La Ventura, Searchers, and Mir. Whoa, I'm surprised La Ventura beat out The Searchers for you. I didn't know we could do ties, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay laura um okay so number one with a bullet is the godfather um number two i'm choosing la ventura um, over the bicycle thieves which is my number three um and i do think it's because i've wrestled so much with the idea of style and the visuals and how it's it's stayed with me um number four is searchers number five is mirror because it's above general in that there is so much visual beauty and so many ideas to the film that I can't dismiss it. The general just got on my nerves mm -hmm. the whole time. Wow, I thought you were going to be like mirror number 10. <laughs> <laughs> Burning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I was um, frustrated with mirror, um, but I felt more invested in it, which is probably why fair enough it's so annoying so cranky about it essentially so we've now watched 11 movies together that have been on one of the sight and sound polls either in the top 10 or as a first runner-up we checked in about this after our first round so i'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on the whole sight and sound poll at this point has watching these films given you an appreciation for it more or less than you had before maybe or perhaps even the opposite are you starting to think less of the poll for any reason um so alicia let's check in with you first i want to actually address something that i said in the last like wrap up episode that we did because before we did before we started recording this i was like what did we even talk about in the last like in all these so i went back and re-listened to the last like six or seven episodes and I said that I think like that it's not enough for me to see like the first, the, the fir necessarily the first film or person to do something, but I wanted to more see like the perfected ver ver version of a thing. And I think I might backtrack a little bit from that because 
I have appreciated like getting the context of a lot of the the movies and um I think I, I came I think I like that was too strong of an opinion that I put out there the first time and I probably didn't mean it I think I probably just wanted to have something to say but um... I probably have about five of those but that's really explored. yeah but um but no I, I I'm enjoying and like I said this last round of movies like I thought were really great and um so yeah I, I, I think my appreciation has grown was, was there a particular movie Alicia that made you realize that um, no, I think just when I went back and listened to it again, I and listened to that episode again, I was just kind of like, right. Uh, I don't know if I don't know about that. If I mean, I do still want to see the the better or best version of a thing, but I I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to imply that like the first version of the thing isn't worth isn't worth watching, you know. Okay. Um. So. I think I'm more or less in the same place as I was the last time we talked about the the poll itself and that I still find it to be a good starting point for movies to watch. Like it's a good way to discover like what the classics are and, and have some context to, to that. Um, I still think it's ridiculous that the latest movie that's been in the top 10 or runner up is Raging Bull from 1980. Um, I guess that might be the part where I could be a little more forgiving of that as we go forward. Cause I think watching these is making me realize maybe this is related to what you were saying, Alicia, a little bit that maybe the thing that, that does it first or earliest, like there's a reason that it's a classic and there's something that becomes harder about breaking into that world of being considered a classic um, the more, the more time has gone on. Like it's, it makes sense that the stuff from the first half of the, the lifespan of cinema to this point is going to be more likely to be in there. Cause there's been more time for it to be considered and revered and, and seen as like influential and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Alicia. Sorry. I just had, I actually meant to ask this is, the, is the sight and sound poll. Mm-hmm. The most influential films or is it the greatest films uh well they call it the uh, the, the poll of the greatest films ever made i'm okay. not sure if they totally define that or, or ask people to stick to a definition of that I, th- I, I think it could mean either thing to whoever's voting in the poll probably yeah i agree i just was wondering because i thought there's you know sometimes there's overlap between influential and greatness yeah, and yeah. Sometimes there's not. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, like I was saying, I, I I could be convinced that more stuff that, that should be considered classic should be like older things. I get it. I still think that there should probably be a, a chance for a movie from the last 40 years to make it into the poll, uh, into the top 10 of the poll um, in this next one that's going to come out next year. I hope that happens. And like we talked about last time, I hope that, there's better representation amongst the filmmakers who are represented in the poll and also amongst the critics who are voting in it. Cause I, I don't know yet what that has been over the years, how they've expanded it or not. And so that's something I still want to delve into. Uh, Mia. 
Yeah, sort of. I mean, I talked about this in our first wrap-up episode, and my opinions haven't changed on the lack of representation in the directors, or I'm assuming the lack of representation in the directors and in the critics, and then also in the movies. So it's made me think a lot about what we consider classic films and how that's determined and by whom and who gets to make films and what stories get to be told and all of that. So I, you know, again, still hoping for more diversity uh, from women, from people of color, from other places around the world uh, in the 2022 poll. That said, I do think overall, I think I complained on the first wrap up about it being stodgy. I don't disagree with that, but I think overall I liked this round of movies more. I think it expanded my perspective on movies a lot more and different types. And I think a lot of the films were really different, but in a way, like what you were talking about, Jeremiah, they also like fit together really well. So I think if these are what we're considering classic, we quotes are considering classic movies, I think I appreciate having them rounded up in this poll and you know able to look at all of them and compare and contrast them so I guess greater appreciation but also still annoyed about the patriarchy and racism (laughs) as plays out in this poll of course I'm sure we all are yeah I don't think I'm saying anything like that anyone here would disagree with no I guess not um Laura I'm into it I I think um I can't dispute the idea that it needs more um, diversity and inclusion as a poll, but um, the idea that we're tackling it as a starting point and therefore critically thinking about the films within this context, to me, the structure of that has, it's been a very beneficial exercise for how I look at film, how I look at my relationship to film and what I bring to it. And I think I'm learning a lot. every every day in every way and I'm just a better me so no I'm yeah I'm into doing this a lot I think I'm basically in line with what I said last time okay and Stephen um yeah I I do appreciate the list um every time I've watched a movie I can see why it's on the list um I I feel like they it is a movie that you can watch or the movies that we've seen you can watch them now and then get something out of it or it it comes back to some other movie that I might have seen that has tried the same kinds of things um and to Mia's point yes I think that they should be picking more contemporary movies with just more diversity and cast even I mean a lot of the movies that we've seen so far even the, the cast hasn't been diverse uh not all of them, but obviously, you know, with, with some of them. Um, and then also just like filmmaking has changed in the past 40 years. So it would be nice to see, you know, what has actually, what's considered cutting edge from the 90s or the 2000s, because there are movies that have have those kinds of uh, qualifications. So I, I think that they should expand the list um, and, and try to come back into more of the century even mm-hmm. um, with some of the movies that they've been choosing. But uh, overall, I think that they're all very strong and and I don't think there's been anything on the list where I was like, oh, this should totally not be on the list. So, Well, uh, I'm going to follow up on that with that question to everyone. Did, did anyone think that any of the movies we watched this last round didn't deserve to be on a list of the greatest movies ever made? I don't know. I think I'd like to abstain 
<laughs> I plead the fifth. Um, I'm still, you know, processing a lot. So right. yeah, I, do, I, I feel like this would be a good question to go through, like when we're at the end, you know, because mm-hmm. it feels hard. Like right now, I'd be like, well, if I have to pick one, it would probably be Mirror, but. I don't know. You know, I think mm-hmm. I'm already my opinion about the list and the movies overall has already changed somewhat after mm-hmm. these six movies as opposed to the first five. So who knows how I'm going to feel about Mirror in another five, ten, however many more movies we have to go. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, like even the movies that aren't quite my thing, I can understand why they're somebody's and I can understand why they're influential. I can understand why someone thinks that they're a great movie and continue to be great. Um, so I can't really say that there's any movie that I think just doesn't deserve to be on it. If, if I was doing my top 10, I don't think that obviously like we've watched 11 movies now, so I'd have to cut at least one if I was just going from those. But, and by the time we get to the end of this, I don't know what it'll be, but uh, yeah, I, I see the, I see the merits of all of them so far, I guess. Alicia, did you have, did you want to answer? Um, I think gun to my head, I would probably kick the general off. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it has and I, I I get why it's there. But I just maybe it's just that I just wish there was like a better version of it or like a better like comedy. And I guess we are gonna still watch a few more movies from that era that I don't know might might change my mind or that I might like better or worse or something I don't know but it just didn't I I mean I I appreciated it but I didn't like find any like emotional resonance or anything in it I I appreciate it as like a feat of filmmaking but I yeah for me this was like all style no steps no substance (laughs) right Stephen you had a question that you wanted to ask yeah yeah I mean it was sort of like uh a comment almost um, because I know that we had gone through some of the other movies, you know, cause Jeremiah always gives a, like a little background on what was happening at the time or some tidbit about the movie. And of course with the Godfather, they had to make some concessions and then La Ventura has got laughs and booze during the, <laughs> during the premiere. Um, and then the Ambersons also was tweaked because they didn't like the way that it had ended before. Um, so in terms of the movies that we've seen, like, has it made you think about the construction of movies and the expectations placed on movies are different than they are now? Just because I know now there is just definitely a market for even smaller movies and there's an easier way for movies to be kind of put out in the public. Um, you know, you can post them anywhere and it's easier to even make movies because everybody has phones and, you know, there's just an easier way to kind of get it, even if they're not going to be like huge, big budget movies. but. It, it kind of makes you think about how storytelling was back then. And, you know, do you feel like the expectations might have been different, even though people still don't want to make studio movies? Yeah, definitely. And I think this gets into like, you know, the barriers for making movies when they were so high. Look who was able to make movies and look at what the people in movies look like and the stories that got told and, you know, all of that. And whereas now, not that, of course, like, you know, every time we have the Oscars and stuff, you see obviously still lots of issues with representation and diversity and filmmaking, but there are more movies being made by people of color, by women, by people who don't have the money and would never be able to get in the door at a big studio. Like, obviously, there's way less barriers to entry. So, and I think that results in having more voices and more people on screen and all of that and I think in the last year 
with so many movies going straight to streaming services. And, you know, I mean, I think even now there's the question of like, what is a movie to a certain extent? Because obviously it doesn't have to be something that plays in theaters anymore. There's going to be movies that no one ever sees in a theater. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's just more and more doors are being opened. And I think that's great. This question is tough, I, I think, because I think everything's always been changing because it's it's not only an art form, movies, it's, it's also a collection of technologies. And I, I guess that kind of gets at what you're saying, Mia, uh, uh, kind of on the distribution side or, or what you're saying, Stephen, about um, anyone can go make a movie now to some degree, like just with a phone or something. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's, there's something about the golden age of Hollywood or, or I mean, not just Hollywood, but the golden age of, of movies, I guess, where the, the gatekeeping is obviously bad in its way. Uh, but there's something about like the quality control there or something, or the fact that it's going to get a release that people are going to be allowed to see it and know that it exists that I wish could be expanded to fit the, you know, wide, wide range of movies that do come out today, but nobody knows about even before the pandemic and streaming became like the only way to put out a movie there for a little bit. And some companies would like to keep it that way if they really could. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't really know how to answer this question, I guess. Sorry. Yeah. It, <laughs> I feel it was like I'm babbling. Because, because I was thinking about like those, some of the movies that are just, you know, the really well made, there was a lot of studio, like you need to get this out so that more people can see it. So when yeah. they had to make certain concessions, but now like you could make a movie the exactly you want to make it, put it out without anybody's interference. And that might be even a better movie, or maybe it would have been a better movie if they had right. more people, you know, that were, actually crafting that movie or had a hand in it. I, th- I think the thing that that kind of sucks about the way things have been now for a while with movies is that it's it's become so much about an opening weekend. And I don't even know what that fucking means anymore in light of streaming. But uh, it used to be that a movie could come out, not do great at first, find an audience because it, it didn't open nationwide. It would open in some markets and then it would spread to other markets. And it had an ability to grow an audience and catch on. And that's something that I think has largely gone away in the last couple of decades. Uh, and I think it's a shame because now it's like if, if your movie comes out in theaters and doesn't make $100 million, is anybody going to give a shit about it? in terms of like the people who will let you keep making a movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of a shitty thing. Like everything has to be a high stakes gamble and it has to win or you're fucked. Um, or it has to go to Netflix or one of the other streamers, which is, yeah, I'm not saying that that's bad, but it's just a different experience for everyone involved from the filmmakers to the people watching it. Um, mm-hmm. It know. seems like the, it seems like so many studios just want everything to be like, a hit on the level of like a Marvel movie mm-hmm. nowadays. And if it's not, then like, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of drops off the face of the earth really quickly. Right. But the other thing that, that this made me think of, it's like when you want to watch a movie at home, sometimes it can be so hard to get through like the algorithm that they're giving you. <laughs> so they're only presenting you certain things and they have it down to like, not just, Oh, some things you've watched in the past, but it's like, 
where do you live? Where do you work? Male or female? I mean, they have it like down, like they'll present people that live in different zip codes with different things on the homepage of Netflix, you know, like it's so hard to get through that sometimes. And then sometimes you come in and you're like, I'm not sure what I want to watch. And it takes hours to look, to like look through things and be like, and and come to a decision. It's so much harder to like find something as opposed to the days when you were just like, these are the 10 movies that are playing in the, in the movie theater right now. And which one of those sounds cool. Cause I'm going to the movies tonight, no matter what, (laughs) you know? So that, that's what made it sort of brought up Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. I, I feel like too, with so much streaming stuff, and this might be more like TV shows than movies, but it's like things are huge, but then they're gone. It's like stuff mm-hmm. is moving too fast. I'm so old, mm-hmm. but like, it's like, you know, like everyone was like a, an obsessed with Tiger King for like a hot minute there. And then like today we were walking and I saw a girl wearing a cool cats and kittens t-shirt. And I was like, oh, whoa, that feels like 10 lifetimes ago. <laughs> and I'm sure some of that is like the pandemic. Like what has time been the last while? Yeah. But like, they're, you know, they're actually making a movie. I know, movie. which I'm like, why? Cameron Mitchell. I think mm. it sounds kind of, um, sounds cool the casting sounds pretty great oh who have they cast john cameron mitchell and kate mckinnon oh Oh. interesting yeah so i think i'm intrigued for sure i couldn't i can't watch i I, i'm glad it's gone because i can't watch that kind of thing Mm. but um it sounds it sounds like the from their approach it, it sounds like it might have some it might be good. I'm excited, actually. Interesting. But yeah, like any, like, I feel like a show, like, you know, everyone was so into the OA and then, or Stranger Things and just, you know, all these things that, like, are everywhere and then completely gone, even if more mm-hmm. seasons come out or, you know, a sequel mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah. So anyways, I don't know. There's there's yeah. more I mean, content, but it comes and goes so much faster. That sort of thing also applies to some movies, especially on Netflix, where a movie will come out, everyone talks about it for a weekend, and then you're like, what was that fucking movie with Sandra Bullock and some, and they couldn't look at anything? I can't even remember what it was called. We were called. trying to, we were like, what was the plot? Oh, Bird Box. Was yeah, that? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, but, and, we were like, and then, why couldn't they look? What? <laughs> and I don't think it helps maybe that there's like absolutely no transparency about these things. At least when there's like this, this box office thing going on that everyone pays attention to, you get a sense of like what people are into uh, with some facts behind it. But Netflix is just like, everybody watched this movie. And we don't have to tell you how we know that, you know, and like they don't give you any background, any analytics. They just say more people watch this movie than have watched any movie that ever existed. And we're supposed to believe it and think that it's the hottest shit when that might mean that someone turned it on for 30 seconds and then turned it off. I I don't even know if that's what it means because they won't tell us. Well, I think also the lack of previews, you know, like you're usually like you're excited about movies for a long time. You know, something's coming out, you know, you're working on that. People are working on it. You go to the theater, you see the previews where as opposed to like now you turn on the TV and you're like, oh, that person made a Netflix movie. Okay, yeah. And like, (laughs) oh, it's the number one movie in America. Suddenly, like what? We all sound a little bit like get off my lawn. I know, I know. <laughs> like, wait, so we so we like Back marketing now, and we like the box office now. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Back anyway, my day, you have to see a preview before you wanted to see. A preview. Yeah. I mean, old man I yells love, at cloud. I love that you can just like watch a movie in your home and and be comfortable and not I worry about that. like the crowds and all that stuff. I I do think that's really 
Nice. For the bitchy people sitting next to you in the no, theater. Oh, God. Talking <laughs> That's another in the podcast. Theater. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's time to pick our next round of movies to watch. Uh, when we first started this, Mia picked first because she'd seen the fewest on the list. Then last time, Steven picked first because he's seen the second fewest. Now it's Laura's turn to pick first. So, so excited. So what do you got? Vertigo. Oh, wow. Right off the bat. We're going with that. Cool. Yep, yeah. I was hoping someone would pick that. Alicia, yeah. how about you? going to go with um, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, shit. Whoa. <laughs> Sweeping epic. Sweeping epic. <laughs> Um, and, oh, it's my turn. Okay. I, I could go with something I haven't seen before. Something I haven't seen in a while, or it could go with a comedy. Yes. <laughs> Those are all true. Can, or anybody have any, any, uh, you, you pick, pick it, you okay. pick, it. pick it. What does your stomach tell you to do, Jeremiah? Listen to yeah, which, which, which movie do you want to have a beer with? I'm going to go with eight and a half. Do you want to have a oh great! I was almost picked that one. Okay, I, I feel that like movie. that'll be good after our run of Italian movies or mm -hmm. Italian American movies. Well, mm -hmm. shit, because I picked The Godfather too. So. Oh man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep them close. Jeez, I'm glad I didn't pick an Italian film this time. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia was my backup. Uh, and Stephen. What is your well, I've shifted two because I was looking at everybody else's movies and I think we need a comedy in there. So I'm going to put Singing in the Rain. Yes. I That's love a great that movie. One. All right. All right. So we are going to be watching Vertigo, Lawrence of Arabia, Eight and a Half, The Godfather Part Two, and Singing in the Rain in that order. Wow. I'm really excited about this round. Yeah. This is a big hey, round. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be heavy. What, what, what's left after this? No, there's Are there other movies? A lot of yeah, yeah. old ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Singing in the Rain is I old. I was going to pick an old one, too. I almost picked one that, like, yeah, that was kind of old. but I mean, these are all pretty too, old. These are all old. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all yeah. these movies yeah. are old. Other than, the Godfather 2 is from 1974, but other than that, the latest one, I think, is eight and a half, maybe. So those are our picks. And uh, any final thoughts from anybody? I'm really still enjoying the reaction to these episodes from our group, you know, people mm -hmm. chiming in. I feel mm -hmm. like it's really interesting stuff. Please keep commenting. If you <laughs> listen and you're not in our Facebook group, you should really join because yeah, totally. it's like the yes. after party. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can find our Facebook group at <laughs> facebook.com slash group slash movie club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash stereoactivemovieclub. I guess that's it. Goodbye, round two. Bye, round two. Bye, round two. We love you. Bye, round two. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.